I'm so glad to be able to be here. Uh, I've been born into a family of ministers. I don't know how it happened, but I have uh, my dad and my uncle and cousins, they were ministers. <coughs> and um, then it happened that in my own family here, I have three ministers, all my boys are ministers. And I notice there's a little difference between my boys and us than the old ministers that I knew in the past. When they'd get together, they'd talk about people. Isn't Helen Ellen uh, silly, or isn't Tom uh, uh, having trouble, or he's sure a funny person, that kind of thing. But when my boys and I get together, we talk about the Lord. We talk about the Lord. And when I would talk to my dad, even he lived to be 89 at the end, uh, when I talked to him, we would talk and there would be tears flowing. And we'd say how good the Lord is, how merciful the Lord is. And his life was very, very difficult life. It was a life where his seven-year-old daughter died, his first one. Of course, the first one has always put a lot of love on them. He had one problem after another all the way through his life, health problems, all these kind of things. But at the end, he said, isn't the Lord good? Tears flowing down. My grandfather, 90 years old, we'd get together, and he was a dairy farmer and and when I'd get together with him, what we would talk about is the Lord. And he would cry. This is a very holy man as far as law is concerned. He would cry, isn't the Lord good? Isn't the Lord good? My wife and I get together every day in coffee. We go out. I take her out every day for coffee. And um, you know what we talk about? We don't even talk about the kids. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> we talk about the Lord. Everything you will hear here today, we have talked about. And we get excited. We start talking louder and louder, and we're excited. And when we leave, we're excited. We're excited about whom? About Jesus Christ, about the Lord. We're excited. I hope you can talk to your mate. I remember the first time I decided I needed, I was uh, a Christian, and when I was about 15, 14, I turned to the Lord, and my wife a little bit later. And I can remember as a young couple, I thought, can I talk about the Lord with her? Should I talk about the Lord? Now, you might say it's natural for you, but... Some of you, do you remember the first time you said, I love you to a girl or a boy? How hard? That was hard for me. I love you. I don't know why. <laughs> Seinfeld has a whole thing on that. I love you. <laughs> but that was hard. But it was also difficult to have faith to start talking to my mate about the Lord, about something real, something important. And now we've been married for... I guess about 54 years. I don't know, but quite a long time anyhow. And uh, we still talk about the Lord. 
because he's the center of our lives. I want to know out here how many of you, I had to watch, look at that clock because I had, how many of you are rather normal? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand, but it would be kind of neat to take a, a inventory of how many of you think you're normal. How many of you think you're pretty common that if there was a thousand people out there, they wouldn't be able to pick you out because you don't have any glow, you know, or anything, or you're taller than everybody or whatever? Uh, maybe they wouldn't be able to pick you out. Maybe you're quite common. Maybe you're quite normal. You wouldn't walk normally. I don't walk so normal now. Hard for me to get down those two steps, but maybe you do. Maybe if they looked at you, you would be just quite ordinary, quite common. I want to tell you something, though, about what God thinks about you. And you're going to say, man, he sure loves us and he thinks we're pretty great. That looks pretty good. It sounds good to me, doesn't it? By the way, I talked to my brother Gary on this one. He just recently got saved after many years trying to live a life to make money. He says, I can remember the time when I decided that I was going to live to make money. And he owned three businesses, and he made money, but they collapsed on him. And now he goes to the food bank. But he said, I talked to him about this, and he says, Cliff, you probably should emphasize the positive <laughs> more. And I thought, Gary, thank you. But first of all, I'm going to tell you how the Lord lumped you together. And so I want you to go to uh, Romans 3, 2 to 20. And let's see if we can put that up. We can't. Okay. Much in every way, first of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Well, their unfaithfulness nullified God's faithfulness. Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar as it is written. And let's change that to Romans <laughs> 2. Romans 2 to 220. Can you do that? If you can't, that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to read it. Romans 2. We skipped ahead. Romans 2, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous. This is what the Holy Spirit is writing here. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And you say, hey, wait a minute, I'm here in this church. All have turned away. All are rather common. They have together become worthless. Holy Spirit is talking. There is no one who does good. You say, hey, I do, I do good. Not even one. Now, I had several scriptures on this, but because of Gary, I decided I would be more positive. So Ecclesiastes, it says... Ecclesiastes 7.20, it 
It says, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, not even one of you. Who does what right? Who does what is right and never sins? Not even one of you. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that's kind of strong, isn't it? But unless you understand that, you're not going to understand the end. You won't understand what God is doing with you. Jesus was upset with the most religious of people. And I don't know. I shake so much. I got to put that down. Is that okay? That's great. You'll make it? Okay. Jesus, now, there are some people, they were called priests. And they were the most religious of all. In fact, if a priest entered in that culture, you would let them take the seat with a pillow on it, or you would allow them to be in front. You would allow them to be uh, preferred above you because they're doing what God wants them to do. You know that they can maybe bring you into God's presence with all the things that they do and... and, uh, their sacrifices, and so forth. But in Matthew 23, it says, Jesus said, you are vipers. You know what a viper is? It's a snake, a poisonous snake. They tend to sit by the pathways where they are, and they strike without being threatened. And it says, you are vipers, and you are condemned to hell. This is the best. This is the ones that everybody thought could get them to heaven, would be there for them. He also said to the people, the general people, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her. God considered mankind to be contaminated. He considered God, considered man to be away from him and doing his own thing. Now, why? I'm more of a teacher. By the way, I listen to Dan, yours on the Internet, your sermons, and I go, wow, wow. Those people are greatly privileged. Sorry. But, okay, what happened here? Why is God upset? And he talks to you about not being a whole lot good. Well, it starts at the very beginning, Adam and Eve. And you guys all know the story because you're Christians. But here we have six days. God says, wow, mankind is very good. Mankind's very good. What I created is very good. I love it just as it is. Just as it is. I love it. I'm quitting as far as creation. And so the Sabbath day I'm going to have, which is the seventh day. How many of you think the Sabbath day is holy? 
Come on, little bit, little bit. Yes, God says it's holy. The seventh, the Sabbath day, he blessed. And he says it's holy. What does that mean? You guys are here on the wrong day. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that God says, I like it just as it is. It's beautiful. I created it. And now you people who are made in my image, sit down here and enjoy it. But did Adam and Eve do that? They tweaked it. Yes, God. <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. But you know what? We can do something to make it a little bit better. Did God say? We make it a little bit better. And so, Adam and Eve started to work. They got up. They decided to go to what tree? They're not resting anymore. They're going to work. And they're going to tweak it a little bit. Won't hurt much. But by tweaking it and eating of the tree of knowledge, they thought they would become like God. Well, they knew now good and evil. But they ran into serious problems because God said, I made it perfect. And you now have placed your authority over me. It's kind of like what the priest said that, that Jesus said, that you have an altar here, and because they wanted money, they said, if you put a gift on the altar, God will bless you. Why? Because of the gift. And it says, no, 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 no. God blesses you because of the construction of the altar. That's what you ask for your blessing, to be because of the altar or because God created it perfect. That's where you should be. You should rest there. Well, did man do that? No, he tweaked it. And all of a sudden he said, my authority will be over yours. Yeah, God, it's pretty good what you did, but if we do just a little bit more. And so then came in sin, which says, every man does what is right in his or her own eye. Yesterday I was going 45, I was going in a, a 167, and uh, I was going 65 miles an hour, because I wanted to make sure I didn't impede too much of the traffic. So I'm going 65 miles an hour. Well, when I came from Spokane a long, 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 long time ago, I was a Christian, good Christian, and I'd always obey the speed limit. But I realized you can't do that over here, and you, and you can't leave, you know, the amount of space in between each car so you can stop. You can't do that. So you have to go right on the bumper of the guy in front of you, and you've got to go at least as fast. Well, I was driving along from Bible study, and I'm not catching anybody, and I knew I wouldn't, 64. It's 60 miles an hour, but I knew I wouldn't catch him. But people, choo, 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 
And I was trying to figure out how much faster are they going and within a minute and so forth. And I calculated how much faster these people were going than me. But you know what those people were doing? They were doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And you know what Cliff was doing? Cliff, I was trying to go with the group. If they steal something and they say, hey, Cliff, you're going to make us feel bad if you don't steal something too. Well, I better go with him. You know, I better speed. I better break the law. I better do that. I might get a finger or not, or somebody yell at me or say, what are you doing? Why don't you go 70 on this 60 mile an hour thing? Every man doing his own right. That's exactly what you do in your life. It says right before, well, in Romans it says that from the beginning, they're close to creation now, very close. They chose not to believe in the God who created. They chose not. And their hearts became foolish. And because of their hearts that became foolish, they did all these awful things. They murdered, they hurt, they stole, they lied. By the way, no liar, I hope none of you ever have lied, because no liar is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you have lied... You start shaking like I shake. But no, okay. <laughs> but anyhow, all of those things. Then it says, Romans, it says, don't you judge. Are you judging this? Wayne said, I'm not a murderer. <laughs> hey, look it. And I treat everybody pretty well. Look at me. He says, no, don't do that. Because you're like that in your heart. You will go your own way. We put you in a corner and you say, hey, hey, I'll always do what's right. I'll always stand. I'll always be perfect. I'll always be like God. I will always let people cut my head off without hating them. By the way, if you hate them, guess what it says? You're what? The Bible says you're a murderer. Then it also says you might as well have gone out and done it. Because God's going to judge you accordingly. You're a murderer. Well, Romans 1 says, they left me for what? Idols. They left me for something that they knew wasn't true. They created Baal, the male sexual god, and I won't pronounce this correctly, but forgive us, Ashtoreth or whatever. That's the female sexual god. They had these idols on them and in their house all the time, worshiping it. They chose to worship the sun. They chose to worship images like awful snakes and things that you see on some temples in India and so forth, all this wicked stuff. People like to carry uh, uh, things like that on their arms and so forth. But that's what they worshiped. That's what they worshiped. Their hearts became foolish, and they rejected God. They rejected serving God. Every man decided to go his own way and release himself or herself from the authority of God. From the authority of God. I do not have to obey God. I will obey me. Those gods, by the way, were sexual gods. 
because the sexuality of the human being is so strong because that is necessary for us. But they became sexual gods so I can do my sexual thing. And therefore, in the temples, prostitutes, male and female, were there functioning so that they could fulfill their pleasures of their flesh. So they chose gods that would, would help them, would embellish or encourage their, their physical being to serve something other than righteousness or holiness. So here we have, now let's see what God does when he visits these people. See, these are people now that don't know God and they don't want to serve God. So on Mount Sinai, uh, Hebrews 12, 18, 21, it says, and I'll read it from here. Now, he's talking about sin and, and uh, uh, Jews and the Gentile and so forth. Now, he's talking to us about not getting involved with sin. You have not come to a mountain, you now, that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. When God came down on Mount Sinai, this is who he was. Why was he? Because they all had gone their own way. And so he comes down as an angry God of judgment to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touched the mountain, this God was so righteous and so full of judgment that that animal must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses, who had done mighty phenomena with God's, uh, uh, with crying to God for to do it, that he was trembling with fear. He was approaching the God who was just and righteous and said, you will not do anything above and beyond me for what I have made is good. Good. And you have, and you've gone your own way, and you've done your wicked things, and you glory in it, and you glory in people who do it. And so when his presence comes down, they are fearful. Why, does not, why did not God judge them right at that time? Because he's kind and generous and loving and full of mercy. It says sin or cancer, if you have cancer, it should be dealt with right now. Not a year later, right now. And God's justice was to allow, because he loved us, that cancer to keep going that cancer to keep going, but really he should have judged it immediately. And it says that several places, that his grace and mercy was extended because there was a reason for it. So we find man deciding to tweak creation. Right away, we don't know how many children Adam and Eve really had or how long they lived, but we do know that there's two sons that they identify, Cain and Abel. Because of not coming under God's harmonious existence, called rest, 
or called Sabbath. Because they chose not, they became full with disharmony, full with competition, and full of what we would call sin. And so what happens right away? Abel is killed. Cain kills Abel. They're in competition. There's disharmony. There's not love. There in, in, in place of that was man's will, and man's will was to lift himself up and herself up. So right, right away we see that. So we see that happening. Then we also see uh, the time when Noah existed. That comes afterwards. There's a lot of different things happen here. But what does he say about mankind there? God destroys mankind. He destroys mankind. But he saves Noah, a righteous man. Well, what does he say there? God says, I repent of this. I'm not going to do it again because their hearts are so good. Because they're really human beings with a a certain amount of weakness, but there's a lot more good than evil in them. There's a lot more good. No, he says, from the very conception, when they're born, evil is in their heart continually. You know, when you teach this, you always, and I don't blame you, you get a spirit of, whoops, hey, wait a minute, you don't know me, Cliff. <laughs> but this is it. Okay. So Noah... They destroy everything. And then the Tower of Babel, they're going to make it to God. They're going to build that. And then finally, there comes a time. There comes a time when he calls Abraham. Abraham, out of his country. Now, Abraham leaves a culture of what? He leaves a culture or a society of Idol worship. Idol worshipers. Some people will say, hey, you're a drug addict and you believe in Jesus Christ. Why don't you change right away? Well, the reason he or she doesn't change right away because they're caught in a culture. They're friends. The way they think. Everything is involved with whatever that drug addict or that alcoholic, or whatever, they're caught in that culture. What happened to Abraham? I'm going to put you out of your culture, and I'm going to place you in a land that I'm going to give it, give this land to you. What he pulled him out of that culture. It's pretty hard as an addict to be out of that culture. But that's where you want to go as best you can. Get out of the culture that you were in. If you were an alcoholic, don't go to the tavern. Tell them about Jesus. You might be caught in that own, your own problem. But anyhow, Abraham was pulled out. Now, Abraham was a man of faith. What does a man of faith believe in? What do you believe in? Now, I'm a, I'm a teacher here. What do you believe in? You believe that God created 
everything you see, the galaxies, everything you see out of material, elements, nothing, nothing. It says he will roll back the heavens someday. And that which will be shook will be shook someday, every part of it. It will disappear, but those who are in Christ, because God does not disappear, are saved. So Abraham believed that God could create something out of nothing. Well, is that true? Abraham, I'm going to give you many people that will follow you. They will be out of your loins. Abraham, when he heard that, he laughed. And then when Sarah heard it, what did she do? Oh, boy, I believe that God who creates things out of nothing. Yahoo, he's going to do it. She laughed. She laughed. Isaac is called what? The name is laughter. I don't believe this God who can create out of something, out of nothing. So here we have now, we have this family, Abraham's family, Isaac, Jacob. They were kind of rogues, but there they are. So God says, this is the group that believes in faith. I'm going to bless them. Oh, are they going to be blessed? You can't believe the blessing I'm going to give them. I'm going to lead you into Egypt where they're going to beat you, kill your children, hurt you, despise you. Now, why did they lose favor? Because they have more children, even in our culture. Minorities have more children than the majority. And so they say, hey, wait a minute. These Jewish people, they just have children like rabbits. And they're just going to overcome us. So they lost favor with the Pharaoh. But here they are, led by God where? To slavery. To slavery. So they're led by God to slavery. Along comes a man, a Jewish man, who maybe could have been Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh. He, had, he was on, a, a, on the fast track to being the top. But this Jewish man had been rescued as a baby by the daughter of Pharaoh. And he lived in the household of Pharaoh with great pleasure on him. And he chose to identify with the slaves. And they didn't trust him. They didn't believe him. They didn't want anything to do with Hey, listen, hey, what are you doing here? You killed one of the Egyptians and we'll tell on you, you know, the whole bit. But God took Moses, and he did all kinds of phenomenal things, and he eventually even convinced the Jews that they should follow him and follow God. So, quickly, they go to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, there they are, and guess what they brought with them? The culture. The culture of what? Idols. Is in their back pockets, hidden in their tents. And that's the reason it was so difficult for us to understand when, 
Moses went up to Mount Sinai. Well, how did they all of a sudden make this golden calf and all of a sudden start worshiping this Baal thing? How did that happen? We in our society, we think, how did that happen? God had made them cross through the Red Sea. He had done all of that wonderful things. How could they do that? Well, they had that. They had those idols and so forth, and they quickly turned to their own way. So what did God do with that generation? He destroyed it. Why? Because they didn't believe that he made something out of nothing. They ran into the promised land, and there they were, and they sent 12 people in there, and two came back and said, Hey, God can make something out of nothing. I know we're just slaves. We're not soldiers. I know that. But God has brought us here, and he can make something out of nothing, and let's go there. And they said, no. Ten of them said no, and they convinced everybody, this God is not that great. This God will cannot do that, and we will not enter. And therefore, every one of that generation was killed, and they brought in the new generation. The trouble of the new generation heard about the old generation culture, and so they went into the promised land. And now you see uh, book after book and prophet after prophet talks about the problems in the promised land. I hope I'm not boring you too much. This is a whole story of Bible, isn't it? Okay, so now they go in there, and they do not seek the favor of God. They seek the favor of themselves. Every man going their own way. Everybody having their own idol. Everybody serving themselves. Everyone doing their thing. And because of that, God allows them to be dispersed. And so they are dispersed. And they go all over the world. And God says to the Jewish people in the scriptures, it says, when it's day, you will find so much persecution that you'll wish it was night. And when, when it was night, you'll find so much persecution that you will wish it day. And we can see the millions of Jewish people that have been killed, even in our generation or my generation, killed. For what reason? Because they were the people, the devil says, if I can get rid of the Jewish people, I can get rid of the Bible. Because there's all kinds of promises. So he would chase them down wherever they are. So anyhow, let's get a little bit more positive for Gary's sake. Okay, people. This is who you are. How common are you? Well, you knew that, anyhow. You knew Cliff was going to tell you how common. You're so very, 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 very special to God. You are so unique to God that he didn't allow anyone to be made just like you. Your biometrics are so important that we can open that door if we have a certain gate. They will identify. Or a certain fingerprint. Or irises in a certain way. Or even our ears, by the way, they take a picture of it, and that door will open. But if it's not, any of those are not in the computer, that door will never be open. You have to kick it down if you can. Your biometrics is so singular, so significant, that you are not made like anyone else. And so when we look at people and say, I'm rather common, I'm rather normal, no one picks me out. No, God has picked you out, and you're very, 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 very significant. But why? 
Why are you significant? I'll tell you why. Because there was one, a man named Jesus Christ, who came just like Moses. Moses led an ethnic group out of slavery. Why did God lead those Jewish people into slavery? Didn't he know that they were going to be beaten, that kids would be chased down, they'd be killed? Didn't God know that? He was telling you what's going to happen to that. There's good news, the angel said, for the whole world. There's going to come one who will deliver whom? The whole world out of slavery. He's going to come and pay the price of the judgment that God has on men who have decided they were going to create. They were going to do their thing. They were going to satisfy their wants. He was going to come to deliver them from slavery, from their Adam nature. And Jesus says to the religious people, your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. You're following him. You're following his dictates. You're not looking to the God who lives forever, who made all things. So Jesus came, a well-known story. And Jesus died. And the blood of Jesus brought you out of slavery. The blood on the post in Egypt brought them out of slavery. Bought, that made it so they could go to the promised land. Because Pharaoh said, I don't want to deal with you guys anymore. Goodbye. Okay, Jesus brought you out of slavery. You are now redeemed. You know, this place should be the most happy place in the world. If you have revival here, I will tell you what will happen when you open those doors in the morning. There will be joy. There will be laughter. There will be hugging. There will be a relationship with each other of seeing, and there will be smiles. And you can tell, you can tell by your ears if you got a revival or not. You can tell whether God is present or not. Listen. Listen. Because those people will come in with an attitude, I'm free, I'm free indeed, I'm free indeed. No longer am I a captive. No longer am I a slave. I am free, I am free, I am free. The most happy people that I have met as a congregation were Catholics. How many have the tradition of Catholic in their background? Anybody here? Good. I was at Gonzaga University, and I was either getting my fifth year or my master's or something at Eastern Washington, and I heard that there was a revival. And there were revival in all the churches, but the, the Gonzaga there was a revival in the Catholic Church. And I always thought, because I lived right next to Gonzaga, I played in their gym and that kind of stuff, I always thought that they were the Antichrist people, taught very much so, Pope is the Antichrist, and he's a really, really bad. Well, I'm not too uh, favorable for that right now, you know, in my attitude. But, okay, I'll go there. So there's a big room full of people. 
And the noise factor is so great. And they're so happy. Why are they so happy, all these Catholics? Unbelievable. And so we start service, and then all of a sudden, these people are Pentecostal. These were former hippies and people who thought they were they're Pentecostal. They start singing. Nobody leads them. Beautiful, beautiful song. The pressure, the beautiful love of God and the presence of God falls and, and they're singing hallelujah, hallelujah, praise and it goes sweeping back and forth. They were free. They were free from the priesthood. They were free from the Pope. They were free from their religious ways. They were free from their addictions. They were free. They knew that there was a God who lived and he lived inside them and they were happy, happy, happy. We've lost a lot of that because we're religious, religious, religious. But there they were. You now have come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai, where they, you had this gloom, this fire, this judgment, this hatred towards you. Maybe God doesn't hate, but he's going to put you where you belong in hell because you decided to do your own thing and you still do your own thing. You won't come under his authority. But now it says, here we are. And now you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem is your destiny and where you are. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly joyful assembly and to the church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? You are. Who was the firstborn out of flesh? Who went through the travail from flesh to eternal life? Jesus Christ. You're out of the firstborn. You're out of the firstborn. He went, dropped down into this flesh, and lived here in the flesh, and then he died, and then he was resurrected. Who resurrected him? This is kind of a theological question, but it says it very distinctively in the Bible. God resurrected him. Well, why is that important? Because he was a sheep. He was the lamb. He says, I'll give it all. Even divinity, I'll give it all. For whom? To rescue these whom you were made in your image. And it says, God says, I won't let him face corruption or like you and I return the dust. I will not let that. He's a flesh man, but I'm going to resurrect him. And he did resurrect him in three and then Jesus did a wonderful thing. I got to finish. Jesus did a wonderful thing. He ate fish. <laughs> so you and I know it's not a ghost around there with a little with fish in the, this area that floats around. No. He's not a ghost. He ate fish to prove I've been resurrected. 
I've been resurrected. I have new life. You do too, friend. And I will finish this. I thought I might have to say this, Danny, three sermons to get through the 45 minutes, but I'm out. Here we go. Okay, who are you? Let's see who you are. As you come to him, this is First Peter, the living stone, Jesus Christ, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, see, God calls Jesus as precious, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through whom Jesus Christ. It says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus, and the one who trusts in him, you, will never be put to shame. You're not common. You're not ordinary. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, Jesus, but to those who do not believe the stone, Jesus, the builders rejected. But that stone has become the cornerstone. A stone that causes people who do not believe to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is often what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, the hippies, into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were just out there someplace, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received any mercy, but now you have received the mercy of God. You are precious. I want to end this with that statement. You are precious. I was praying once, and uh, I thought supernova is when a star actually ceases to be, but before it does, it's like a firecracker. It just lights up everything. It's huge. And I was praying, and God, in essence, said, your light is like that. Your light is like that. You're unique. You're distinct. God loves you. He's chosen you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Can you believe that? He says, now I want you to do is enter in my rest. What is rest? Remember, Adam and Eve didn't rest. They started working. He said, okay, I'll give you promised land. That'll be your rest. Joshua, lead them into the promised land. They came in the promised land, but they didn't rest. They kept working. He says, I want you to do not neglect this. Do not fail to enter into his rest, the complete final work, which is Jesus. The final work is Jesus. Not you. You are not acceptable unless you're in Jesus and then you're completely acceptable. For he's made you righteous holy, and it says, enter that rest. Quit struggling and trying to do something to please God. Enter that rest. Know that God has made a plan, and he says it's perfect, it's good. 
Don't tweak it. And if you don't tweak it, if you come to that and say, I will rest. Now, some of you have conscience of feeling that, oh, I did something really bad there. I, did I can't forgive myself here or there. What's the answer to that? If you can, of course, go back and say, I'm sorry. But what's the answer as far as God? I made a plan for you, for your conscience to be made whole, to be able to leave that behind. I made a, a contract with my Lord Son, Jesus Christ, and he's paid the price for that. Get under the blood and leave it. If you can, go back and correct anything you can. But as far as your guilt feelings and so forth, understand you are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Spirit of God is real and He's here. I want you to know He is real. It's not a pretend thing. It's not a hope thing. He is real. Can you believe that he's real? If you believe he's real, you're going to focus in him and he's going to be the center of your conversations. You will speak to your wife about whom? About Jesus. You'll speak to your friend about whom? About Jesus. But if he's not real... If he's not the authority in your life, you will clutter up your life with everything else to avoid the answer to eternity, which is Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for you. I pray every time I enter this building or any other building, Lord, heal your people. Lord, heal your people. Heal them from the hurts and the conscience, the feelings of unworthiness. And let them know who you are. You're the Lord God. Lord, we thank you. We thank you right now. Hallelujah. There's no man that can convince any one of us what to do, what is right. There's no man that can convince any one of us who to serve today. But I ask, dear Lord, the Holy Spirit will abide and Lord, I do not want them to walk out of this building and think, aha, I can do my own thing. I want them to know that there is a Lord to serve and authority in their lives that's greater than themselves. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy to them. Bless them, encourage them, change their mind, change their attitude, and let them know that you are real and you deserve to be served. In your name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God.